Hello, welcome to episode 29 of the Horn Notes podcast. We have again today as a guest, Gabe Kovac of the Phoenix Symphony. And we've got a great topic today. We started off talking about uh, injury and recovery, but ended up talking about uh, some other things too, like how mouthpiece pressure is overrated as a problem, we, we believe. And there's some more things to be found in the little conversation with uh, Gabe. And then following that, I'm going to talk some more about injury and uh, a little bit about focal dystonia. I've got a few topics I want to cover here. So let's get started. Okay, we're back again today with Gabe Kovac of the principal horn of the Phoenix Symphony. Thank uh, you for having me. Been here since 2006, um, doing a great job downtown. And we were talking about earlier today, uh, we were chatting about injury. And uh, particularly sort of like chop injuries, kind of like along the lines of physical as much as anything, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's, it's an interesting topic because it's kind of like, well, you were saying that people just don't like to talk about it in a way. It's like it's bad luck to talk about it even. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, uh, you know, why would I want to, you know, food or <laughs> like, because <laughs> like, nobody wants to lose their chops and stuff. Right. Um, and I've actually been pretty lucky on this, this path of things. Nothing's ever hit me in the face or anything. And, uh, we oh, you're missing out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Gabe, so tell us, have things hit you in the face? Oh, many times. Uh, let's see, I've had stitches in my face, in my lips, specifically when my dog bit me in the face. Um, How old were you when that happened? I was in high school, I was prepping for college auditions. Oh, wow. Um, while on the job, I was trimming some trees, a branch that was hiding behind another branch with tension on it flipped back and smacked me in the face. Um, I got hit by a taxi cab and was flown six feet in the air and landed on my side, rolled over and hit my face from the rebound and couldn't play the horn for two, three months. And I was prepping a, an audition while I was in school for that. That was some trying times. I've had um, some teeth that were had moved over time and then were atrophying the nerves in my upper lip. I actually had gone to see Dr. Frooks in New York about that, thinking at that time while my face was turning black and blue and I couldn't play for 20 minutes at the time, I was up in Ottawa on a one-year position. I couldn't play for all day until the concert. You would save everything. And I, I was like, this is surely dystonia. That was back in 2001 where mm. things were, were coming out and visited him and he felt around and he took a sharp object, which I, which I was scared that he was about to poke <laughs> my face with a sharp object. But the thing he said to me was, can you feel this? And I said, yes. He goes, good. You don't have dystonia because your nerves are clearly reacting to what what is touching them. So that's my first sign that you don't have dystonia. And by the way, do you remember that you called me two years ago after you got hit by a taxi? And I didn't remember that, but <laughs> you know, you're in such a, yeah. a panicked phrase that you're calling anybody that you knew that was dealing with a doctor that was dealing with um, something with somebody's face because getting a diagnosis to be honest with you or a or or a lack thereof was actually relieving to know one that I didn't have dystonia or that things were fine but I think the lingering effect was because I remember in in school Bloom said to me once he goes you keep playing with that pressure one day I don't know when but you will not be able to play one note not one note and so that's that sticks with you when when you have you know a hard day of playing or something's happening and you're is this a result of the of the accident that I had back in school? Is this a result of you know the the teeth having moved and atrophying the nerves? Is this because of the tree that like 
is this the culmination of it? Is this the end? It's just a bad day of playing after you had a long day of services, right? I mean, yeah. You know, I I'll, I, I want to loop back to your original industry with the uh, the scar tissue and stuff. Mm -hmm. I'll come back to that in a minute. You mentioned that you gave a, a good quote of a, a... There's a lot of teachers that talk a lot about pressure. Mm -hmm. And those that have read my writings on this know that I'm actually... I think that people worry about it far too much. Yep. Um, like far too much. Um, there's been studies done... So, but Bloom is saying that, so you're a student, so, and now you're, you're kind of agreeing with me, yeah, people worry about pressure too much. Way too much. Yeah. And that's something that, it's like not, it's, you know, there's something, I've got a subcategory of things I'll tell students, like, this is where Erickson tells you something that's the opposite of what I should be saying, <laughs> you know, but this is like, you really don't worry about the pressure too much. I think there's more problems caused by people trying to play with too little pressure than, it, than almost anything else. Right. I'm 100% I'm in agreement with that. I, I took that issue when I was in my master's to, to Julie Landsman because it was just, it's that thing that gnaws in the back of your head. And so you think, okay, well, I'm, I must be doing something wrong. How do I fix this? How do I please somebody? And she was very simple about it. She's like, how much air are you using? If you're using enough air and you're, the pressures that you're using are matched equally with the air that's coming out of your body, then I don't have, a, have an issue. And it really started to change how I viewed what needs to come first. Yeah, I, I'll tell people, the, I think the simplest explanation I've heard of this was just there's a Goldilocks effect. There's like a too much and there's a too little. Yeah. And there's a just right. Uh-huh. And really, you're just looking for just, just right. right. <laughs> you're not looking for less than just right. Well, you're not looking for more than just right. You're looking for just right. You're going to have the best sound when you're at that place. I remember you had told me in, in one of our conversations, not, not recorded, that uh, Phil Fockers had wanted to redo that one section in his book yeah. about the the pressure he's stated that publicly in several times in master classes that i attended that he regretted putting that picture of the horn on the piano as the no no pressure thing at least partially due to, to people actually putting their horns on pianos and then falling off on the floor <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time i think it's just a bad analogy because it's sort of teaching you to do something that's not natural it's like you're play, trying to play with unnaturally light pressure yeah um, you mentioned, though, I, I wanted to go back to the... I know that I've been told that um, scar tissue takes a little while to work through. You must have had some scar tissue from that uh, dog bite in your lips, among the other things. Well, that was sort of on the corner, so I, I was lucky that it wasn't directly in the in the center, right? But I, there was definitely two stitches on where the corners meet on the side of my face. So mm. There's not as much pressure, but yes, we do. You know, we always talk about keeping our corners stiff, so it wasn't wasn't the funnest thing. Oh yeah, definitely. But I th I think it's a the, the reason why why I want to talk about it or, or that I mentioned it to bring it out is there because one, it's it's good to know that the face is very resilient. You know, a busted lip, the scar tissue, all these things, playing through it or getting over it while you're doing good quality things when you're dealing with the injuries is is more to it so that you're not doubling down on trying to overcome the injury with more practice, right? Being kind to yourself and taking the Hippocratic Oath and do no, no harm wait, before... No, wait, 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 You're supposed to, every day, you're supposed to either do the heavy routine or Caruso, right? No, I'm kidding. Uh, I tell but, everybody... But you people know, will try, they want to get better and they have to, like, got be kind to yourself. I think yeah. the word you just said. You know, your chops, they need time to... Get, it's it's get such together. a twisted cycle because the, the answer we always think to to fix what's ailing us is more time on the instrument where we really looking at time off as as a as equal to the value of of a practice session like 
I try to divide mine up just the way I eat. You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with equal time off between. If I practice for 30 minutes, it's 30 minutes off at, at minimum. And, and what does a practice session actually look like? Are we talking about that we've sat in a room for an hour and, you know, half of it was was meandering about or doing something else? Or was it a half hour of playing? I mean, for me, a half hour session is a half hour with the horn really up on my face. And then it's quick progressions to the next piece of literature. And that's a lot of time and that's a lot of expectations on the body. And having that rest period of equal, at least, time before that next thing, and also depending on what you have that day to play in school or at work and all those things add up that the conversation about, you know, you always get asked if you're doing a master class or something, how much time do you practice? <clears throat> now, it's, there's, this is against like Erickson says the opposite of what he should say, because I'm often telling people to practice less. Yeah. Because this is the you just got to pace it out, you know, and one of the key things if you're taking an audition or something, well, I learned this, like, Eli, probably Eli Epstein was one of the ones who was the most clear on this to me in my lessons, but it's like you go into an audition, you want to be, number one, you want your chops to feel good. Yes. At the point when you're actually doing the audition. Yeah, right? not, not blowing so, your face so off you're not gonna 10 minutes on stage. Seriously, for two hours right before the audition, learning stuff. It's like, there's nothing to learn. I love that sitting point. in the room hearing everybody go through every excerpt and as high as they can play, I'm like, yep, yeah, they're not going to do they're it. They're not going to advance. <laughs> I remember thinking that in so many auditions, people next door to me and stuff, yeah, they're not going to advance. And you could hear like rhythms wrong and stuff like this too. And you're just like, yeah, they're not going to advance. Right. Well, what, how I do is no, I mean, all I have control is how my chops, I have a fair amount of control over my chops feeling decent Yeah. at that moment. And you got to like focus on it. And practice relates to that. If you're just running your chops into the ground every single day, you know, that's not good. There, there's only one sort of thing that I'll, that I'll add to that. During my studies um, with, with Jerome Ashby, we, we had this long conversation and he was like, you ever do the six hour, you ever have a time where you were practicing, you know, minimum of six hours? And there was one summer where I did. And we the, the conversation was much more extended than this synopsis of it. But I asked him, I said, well, what'd you get out of it? He goes, oh, not much, but I did it, right? So I think, you know, there's, there's a point, and I agree with that. I don't remember getting much out of it. But yeah. there's a point where you put the time in, and at some point you learn what the body really needs. And putting putting that time in for a short, short period definitely has its value. But doing that day in and day out, I think, the conversation really needs to shift to how we actually be kinder to our bodies and not how we actually beat our face up that the, the recovery the next day or later that day or a week from now isn't compounding on creating problems that could have easily been avoided ahead of time. Yeah, so those are great words. Well, great. Well, I'm sure we could find more topics to talk about, so we'll have you back again here sometime. We'll talk about some more stuff. Well, it'd be my pleasure. Thank but, you for uh, having me. Thanks for coming in. Again, that was Gabe Kovac of the Principal Horn of the Phoenix Symphony. And, uh, yeah, thank you again. Thank you, John. Okay, with that, we're back to uh, close out the podcast here. And, and I definitely have some topics to cover here. You know, injury is like a, a thing. It's not like I've written a lot about it in Horn Matters, actually. I've written probably very little in its way. And it's not that I have no thoughts about it either, because I do definitely have thoughts. The topic comes up quite a little bit working with people. And I have a few notes, some things to, to talk about here. Um, you know, one of the common things that I think people, as they age, often they, they feel like they develop a tremor or something as they play. Now, the question is, is that dystonia or what is it? And I tend to think that it's caused 
by a couple of uh, sort of intertwined factors. Um, but if it occurs over a, a fairly wide range, I'm going to say it's probably not dystonia, but it's hard to say. You have to be, be actually tested by somebody who really knows some neurology to know that for sure. But um, the quick notes on the, the, the initially the, uh, the MRI uh, horn studies that were done by Peter Iltis and are ongoing were initially and largely funded by uh, the Dystonia Foundation. And one of the, I've talked about this elsewhere in, the, in Horn Matters, that one of the initial findings was that they were comparing uh, elite players to players who developed dystonia. And the Estonia players, as a, as a group, one of the things that was observed was they had some faulty uh, mechanics they're playing. In particular, the thing that they observed was had to do with the tongue arch by range. And what that means is, as you go high, your tongue like arches up in your mouth, very much like as if you were whistling. <whistles> Feel how your tongue goes up and arches up. And it's similar to that playing the horn. Um, there's a line of pedagogy, especially in low brass teaching, though, that goes that the mouth, the tongue should be down all the time. And this is actually false. That's not how you play. Uh, and it's very natural for it to go up. So if you're fighting that, that's one of the elements that can, can lead to things breaking down. But another thing that I think contributes, and I was alluding to this in the podcast earlier talking with Gabe, was that people will try too hard to play without enough mouthpiece pressure. And th this causes a set of problems for the player. So now kind of imagine this. Let's say your lips don't have enough support and you're trying to play and, and, and things get sort of quivery just because your lips are unsupported. Um, you do need to have enough mouthpiece pressure to support your embouchure. And sometimes people they will be having problems with their chops and they'll do a couple things which sound reasonable on paper. They'll try to play with the horn on the piano like is in the Farkas book and they'll try to practice that way and then they'll try to practice like uh, stuff out of say the embouchure building book by uh, uh, the singer book, you know, stuff that's kind of strenuous to try to build up their chops. And it's not really, they're, they're thinking things that make sense but actually they're probably not the best choices. So um, as I mentioned, you want to have sort of the Goldilocks thing going with your, your mouthpiece pressure. But another thing, just in terms of materials, like if you're looking for a good, like, slow warm-up that you could use to build your strength back up and work on your mechanics, I still like the Brass Gym for Horn, which I edited, but it's not, I don't like it just because I edited it. I think it's a good product. It's held up well over the years, and it's been out about 10 years. So that's something that I will point, point as a thing to, to think. Now, there's, people will get concerned about visible motion and in your embouchure, and I think a little visible motion is fine. Um, in my own case, sometimes I'll get a little sort of a, looks like a tremory sort of thing in my low range. I've associated this with kind of stressful times, actually, as much as anything. It'll tend to go away. I will say as a, an aside, though, when I was making my canto recording, the very first thing I recorded on that was the canto serioso because I wanted my chops to be in like the best place they could be for the tone that I wanted to get on that. And I also didn't drink any caffeine for like a week before I recorded it. So that's like another reason you might have a little bit of a tremor in your plane is just like a caffeine kind of thing, something like that. 
Now, I've, I've talked a little earlier about mouthpiece pressure, and I'm not going to keep banging on that drum, but I will bang on another related drum, which is mouthpieces themselves. And I would say, right now, we're in such a golden age of mouthpieces. You can get great mouthpieces of a quality level like you couldn't get in the past. And I think there's people out there playing on mouthpieces that are just causing their own set of problems because they're just not very good mouthpieces. Um, you know, I, I will often, I, I really like the, the Houghton H1, H2, H4, really nice mouthpieces. I like the San Francisco Cup. These are things that are just like unheard of in relation to what you could just easily buy, say, in the 70s or 80s. So sometimes I'll go back to mouthpieces I used to use, and I don't really want to name models because, you know, you're going to start thinking like, wait, what, that one, you know, you're going to kind of come, come up with some things. But one mouthpiece in particular I used for quite a little while, and I go back to it right now, and I'm just like, how in the world did I play this mouthpiece? So I mentioned that thinking that some of you readers or listeners out there might have a similar reaction, actually. And it's there's a point in time where it's really worth your time to try something new. You may or may not like it. You may not make good choices. You may have to experiment a little bit. But there are some very fine mouthpieces out there which very likely will help make life easier for you as a player. And to close, I have one final topic I want to like talk about in relation to injury, I don't know, problems, playing problems. And that's the problem that I would call the hesitation attack. And I run into this more often than I would like to. I think a contributing factor to the whole issue of the hesitation attack is that there's a line of thinking that says that you should think of the beginnings of notes as releases. So people will like tend to uh, bottle up the air behind their tongue and then release the air behind the tongue. I think this is just causes a whole group of problems, especially over time. You can kind of turn yourself into a head case. There's, it throws the timing off of your articulation. You need to play in one motion. So, for example, you breathe and you set and you play and that's all one motion. It's like a big circle. Another way to think about this timing is this. It should be very similar to a breath attack when you're starting just an average note. And it's a really good idea to just do a few breath attacks, and then you're going to try to use the tongue in such a way that it just solidifies that final point of articulation, the moment, so that it has like the precision you need, but you're not going to bottle up the air behind it. Um, this hesitation attacks talk to any experienced brass teacher they're going to be like yeah we've seen this this is just a and it, it's hard it becomes a hard habit to, to break but you really got to break it if you got it um, but at the same time as Gabe was saying and we'll say this is the final final concluding thought um, you do want to be kind to yourself you know there's a there's a lot to be said for just taking a day off the horn sometimes um, I know you want to be all hardcore and practice five hours a day or whatever, which is a bad idea. Don't practice that much every day because it's really going to bite you because you can't play that long. But just take a day off here and there. You know, it's, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's going to be better for your, your overall health as a player and everything else. So with that, I will close. Again, thanks to Gabe Kovac of the Phoenix Symphony for joining me on this podcast. Again, I really do hope to have him back. Enjoy our conversations very much. 
Um, if you're a buyer of ebooks, be sure to check my line of ebooks out, which are available through Horn Notes Edition uh, as Kindle e publications right now, uh, which are available worldwide. And uh, again, thanks for listening to the Horn Notes podcast. Be watching for more episodes in the coming year. Thank <laughs> you.